It's time for the only show where today's top mid-revenue cycle leaders share the personal stories, struggles, and successes that you won't hear on the big stage, but made them who they are today. Are you ready to go off the record? Here's your host, Brian Murphy. Avid listeners of Off the Record might recall a guest I had on the show back in September 2023, where we talked about Ikigai, probably I mispronounced that, which I believe, uh, remembering that show is purpose or reason for being. I think that's accurate, Nicole. Well, we'll, we'll get to that later after I introduce you. Uh, as well as an average day in this person's challenging and demanding clinical practice as a pediatric trauma surgeon and her eventual and unlikely path to CDI. By the way, I say average because I don't think there is an average day in, in her profession. Um, but she enjoyed the experience. She tells me she has to come back, and I was happy to take her up on it. Still think she needs to start her own podcast. But until then, I'll keep bringing her back on because she's just that interesting. So without further ado, I want to welcome back to the show, to the show Dr. Nicole Fox. Dr. Fox is Associate Chief Medical Officer, Associate Professor of Surgery, Medical Director of Pediatric Trauma, and Medical Director of CDI for Cooper Univer University Hospital, which is a level one trauma facility in Camden, New Jersey. Nicole, welcome back to Off the Record. Thanks, Brian. Good morning. I'm happy to be back. Yeah. Before. Happy New Year. Here it is, 2024, and uh, same old, same old. We, we were just chatting about uh, uh, an incident Nicole's having in the in the background here, which we don't think will interrupt the podcast. Uh, it involves dogs roaming her property and uh, animal control, and animal control, and frantic phone calls. But we're we're hoping to get through that. If 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 we do hear barking, I guess, or police sirens in the background, well, you'll you'll have some idea of what's going on here. Um, <laughs> that aside, the of the podcast, we don't know. Yeah, I know. we could we could have a third guest all right well let's let's just dig into today's topic again this is the first show for off the record in 2024 so i wanted to start with a show about goal setting and um some people call them uh you know i guess new year's resolutions i i, I prefer goal setting i feel like new year's resolutions is fleeting and probably ends by february 1st if not earlier whereas if you have a process to set goals and stick to them. And we're going to talk about that today. You'll have a better chance of accomplishing them than a, than a New Year's resolution. Uh, but before we get there, Nicole, I thought we could just recap a little bit about you. Again, I gave you an introduction here. I do recommend folks listen to that September show if they want to learn a little bit more about you and your path. We're not going to talk so much about that today, but just to start, did I get Ikigai right? And have you made any progress on your own path <laughs> on, on, on your journey? Sure. You got Ikigai right. It translates loosely into life's purpose. So we talked life's about purpose. it on the last podcast, and it's really the intersection of finding that place where you're doing what you love, what the world needs, what you're good at, and what you get paid for, and kind of you've reached that sweet spot in life. And it, it, it encompasses personal stuff, career stuff. And it's just, it's the reason that you get up in the morning and whether or not you've, you've sort of found what drives you and found your life's purpose. So that's the meaning of Ikigai. I, I think for me, if, if I'm not clear on my Ikigai yet, we're in trouble because um, I have a family that drives me, uh, inspires me, pushes me to do better and be better. And then I really have the fortunate experience of going to work every day, um, in a career that has exceeded any expectation that I ever set for myself. 
Uh, so I think I have at this point found that intersection personally and professionally, and I feel that I'm doing meaningful work and really serving my life's purpose. So I'm not sure how much more progress I need to make towards Ikigai. I think I need to just learn to rest in it and enjoy mm -hmm. it and, and keep being productive. Yeah, for, for what it's worth, Nicole, and again, I, I, I've known you for listeners' sake. I've known you for some years now through Actus, but you know, not really super personally. We've interacted at a few conferences and, of course, the podcast here. But it it comes through in, in what you do and how you comport yourself and 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 your attitude. So um, for what that's worth, I can feel some ikigai radiating out of you whenever I speak to you. Um, especially you. On, yeah, on the Actus Conference stage again in 2021, it was it was apparent to me that you had found a better place in your life. Um, do you think this is something that people just tend to find later in life or maybe mid, mid, mid life as a, it's, it, I think it's going to be rare for someone who's 18 or 21 graduating college to be at peace and with what's going on. Um, just wanted to delve into that a little bit more. Yeah. I think that's a loaded question. I think for some mm -hmm. of us, it certainly comes later in life. I, I do think that I, I think there are some people that are young and, and find it early. I look at my oldest son who's 22 and I think to myself, he's so much more mature and centered than I was at his age. And my daughter, even at 15, so much more mature and centered. They're very focused. They know what they like to do and what they don't like to do. They have a path in front of them. They're unapologetic, uh, but good people and humble people. And I think, you know, they've probably figured it out a good 20 years before I did. I'm not mm. sure why it took me 47 years to get to the point I am today. I certainly don't regret any of the path that I've taken, but I think some of us do figure it out later in life for whatever reason. I think that yeah. could be an entirely different podcast, but yeah, I think the point at which you reach this is different for everybody. And there's people that never get it. You know, we know all know those people who are constantly chasing something, never happy, never settled. Uh, and that's another problem in and of itself. So I think it's very variable. Mm, absolutely. And for what it's worth, I don't know if I'm, I, I feel, I feel like I'm in a good spot, very good spot in my life, but it did take me a long time um, past age 40. And I can't get into that on the, on the show, but my, sure. yeah, it, it kind of hit me in the head um, and upside the head in a bad way. And around age 40 that I needed to fix some things. And um, I have, it, it is a continuous path, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very important. And we're going to get into the, probably a little bit of that as we're talking through today's topic. Um, before we actually look ahead at 2024 goals, looking back at 2023, Nicole, what were your biggest accomplishments in 2023? And, and actually what maybe even just recap a little bit about the year. I, I always like to hear about, um, also disappointments or areas of improvement that you think you need to make, because I think they're revealing, right? We we can all probably list off and we should list off. It's important to focus on the positive things, uh, focus on appreciation. I know that you made it a point to do that in your own life, uh, but was hoping you could reflect a little bit on the past year, the 2023 in the life of uh, Dr. Nicole Fox. <laughs> Sure. So, um, and it's funny that you said the thing about age 40, because I think that's when it hit me upside the head as mm. well. 
So maybe that's an age that's a pivotal turning point or something. Yeah. It was exactly the age at which I got hit upside the head, as you said, and had to sort of turn things around. But mm. as far as 2023, I think, as you know, one of the biggest accomplishments this year was I got married. Um, I don't think everybody gets a chance in life like I did to have a do-over. Mm. I got to redesign my family. Um, and this year we have really, as a family, traveled, partied, celebrated each other's accomplishments. And we certainly have have had difficulties, but we're weathering them together. And so I've really, I've rebuilt my family this year. I have an amazing partner. I never thought I would get married again, never. Um, and never thought it, I, I would have the chance that I do now to sort of, to do things over and, and do it the right way this time. Uh, the way that I've I wanted to do it probably the first time and wasn't able to. So that was a huge accomplishment, I think. Um, and then the virtual thumbs up here. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. You. Huge accomplishment right there already. Yep. It was a big deal. And I think when you, it's amazing to me, I see it now when you find the right person, how seamless everything fits together. I kind of watched our families who've only known each other now two years, but you would think that we have been together for 20 years, the way that everybody sort of blended and matched personalities and, and wove their lives together has been really amazing to watch our children, our parents, our siblings, or my husband's uh, sister, actually, I don't have any siblings, but just to watch them effortlessly come together when we travel when we have parties or celebrations it's really amazing mm. it's, it's an incredible thing to watch so that's been that i consider an accomplishment for sure absolutely uh career-wise i think you know one of my biggest accomplishments this year and it's not something i actively sought out but um i was named president-elect of our professional society east which is the eastern association for the surgery of trauma wow congrats Thanks so much. And it's is, an this the, is this the conference that you attended, uh, the, the trauma surgery conference in, in uh, Japan last year? I went to Japan to represent East. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Our major, our East conference is in January of every year. So I'll actually be going there next week. Um, nice. But East okay. was founded in 1988, I believe, 1988. And they named their first female president like 19 years later, I think. And, and I'm the fifth woman to be named president elect of that society. And it's just really an honor and a tremendous responsibility. Um, and again, when I said earlier that my career has exceeded my wildest expectations, that's a perfect example of something that I would have never seen coming even five or 10 years ago. And, and the weight of that responsibility is, is heavy, but I'm so excited about it and really proud to represent the organization. Awesome. That's East, E-A-S-T, like is in the direction East? Okay. Correct, yeah. And and just broadly, what will that, that seems like a pretty heavy responsibility uh, as well as an honor, but what, what, what will that involve for you? So it will involve, this year will be my president-elect year 2024, so I'll sort okay. of ramp up to my presidential year, which will be 2025. Yep. You're really the face of the organization. You set the tone for what priorities are important to you for the organization and you work with the board and the other members of the executive team to just keep the momentum going. We, the organization has grown tremendously even since I became a member in 2011. Uh, it's grown tremendously and trauma as a specialty has evolved. Trauma surgeons now do so much more than they've ever done before. 
not just trauma surgery, but critical care and acute care surgery. And so the educational needs and, and things like that have really changed. And it's important for our professional organizations to keep up with those changes and mm-hmm. to serve their membership accordingly. So I, I'm sure you saw that with Actus, you know, as the field changes and evolves, you really have to keep the the organization facile and, and understand do. what current trends are happening and how you respond to them. Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. It's it's easy to uh, start building up, you know, internal infrastructure and and I guess to some degree walls against the outside world, protecting your profession, making sure that you know you're addressing salary concerns and uh, the integrity of the profession. But it's important to be always learning. And I think they've got a great person in here with with you, Nicole. I wish you the best of luck. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, I imagine it will. You'll be learning a ton too about your own practice as a pediatric trauma surgeon. You'll have to, you'll be, you'll be forced to keep up on the latest and greatest tech developments, surgical techniques. Um, so really cool. I, I, I give you credit. That's Absolutely. two huge accomplishments for you in 2023. And obviously that means a lot for you in 2024. And yes. uh, again, here we are in January when I, I did want to talk about this a little bit, um, you know, goals, goal setting, both your own. So what I wanted to do with today's show is talk about your own goals personally, I guess, outside of work, outside of the walls of Cooper. Um, mm-hmm. And that might bleed into what you're doing with East because that's sort of, uh, I guess, bridge. It's you and it's your it's your work. Uh, but also, if you could, a little bit about Cooper Health and, and, the, and the CDI rev cycle coding. I use all those terms interchangeably. I think they've blended together over the years uh, together. So uh, actually, so before we get to, to what the goals might be, um, I want to talk process because I think this is something people don't talk enough about. Um, it's something I had to learn. You just, I used to go, okay, what do I want to do this year? I'll write, I'll write down some goals and I'll keep them handy on this little piece of paper next to my desk. And um, that with going in and setting goals without having a way to accomplish them or even a process for developing the goals I think is going to set you up for failure. So hoping you could maybe share your process, Nicole, like, you know, I, just for people wondering what that might be. Some people do like an end of year self-review, which is what I do. I'm happy to talk about that a little bit myself. Others might ask for input from others, you know, sort of like there's a 360 method for performance appraisal where you ask other people how you did and what you should be doing. So there are different ways to set a goal and just curious what, what yours are. And if you'd be willing to, to share that a little bit here. Sure. I think one of the things that I've, I do set goals, first of all, I should start by saying that, okay. um, but I try to be really very realistic about them and keep them fluid. Uh, the one thing that being a trauma surgeon has taught me for sure is that life can change in an instant and all these plans and hopes and dreams that you had for yourself can change rapidly. And Mm. I think we develop resilience when we recognize that and we learn to adapt to those changes and not become so fixed and rigid in our thinking, right? So I've started to set short-term goals rather than looking too far ahead. You know, how can I get through the first quarter of the year? And then what do I do in the second quarter and so on? And, And I move that way instead of trying to set goals for the entire year or even three or five years. I, I think sometimes you set yourself up for disappointment that way. And you get right. too rigid in your thinking when things change and you sort of can't get yourself out of that box. 
So I definitely, sometimes I even set goals for just the week or mm-hmm. for the next two weeks. And then I move on after that, after I've checked those boxes, instead of thinking too far ahead. So um, you will have set like a quarterly Q1 2024 goal in, but not, here's why I want to be end of year. Right. And I started to get into that pattern, interestingly, because we do our trauma schedule, like we schedule ourselves in three month blocks. So I just turned in my schedule, for example, for, you know, I'm going to make it up February, March and April. So I sort of set my goals in line with that. What do I want to get done in February, March and April? And then I'll move to the next set of goals. I just think when we set too many goals or goals that go too mm-hmm. far in the future, it just really does end up getting difficult when things change or circumstances change and you realize you have to move in a different direction or change course. And then, and then people get in this rut where they're disappointed or they're frustrated and they sort of can't move beyond that. Yeah. So being uh, time bound is one way that you set goals. It sounds like you break it down by quarter mm-hmm. or even shorter periods mm-hmm. rather than a full year. Um, otherwise I'll get overwhelmed. And then you have a to-do list or a checklist of 50 or a hundred things, and you're not going to get those all done. And yeah. then you can get stuck in that procrastinating mindset, you know, where you're just afraid to get any project started because you think you're not going to complete it. So I do try Absolutely. to be very discreet, very limited uh, and yeah. time focused. Nice. And do you do any looking back like self-reflection on the year? I'll, I'll just weigh in with me. Like I explained this on my last podcast and my, my coworkers and guests were a little bit uh, surprised that I do this much effort. It, it doesn't take that long, but what I do every day, Nicole, is I keep a, what's called a gratitude journal, just a few mm-hmm. bullets of what I'm grateful for. And usually it's the highlights of the day before. Mm-hmm. The good thing about this practice is I can then look back at this day by day, Monday through Friday, at least bulleted list and say, wow, look at all that I accomplished over the year. And then write all that out. And it's, it's, it's awesome. It really puts me in a good frame of mind for what I'm setting goals for the next year, because um, it's just a positive experience. You realize how much I, you, you accomplished doing that. It's practice I recommend. And if any of my listeners want to learn more, you can hit me up, but self-reflection is part of what you, you do as well, Nicole. And, and what does that look like? I definitely do that. I came up with this strategy. I read it somewhere. I'm not going to take credit for it, but um, moving into the new year with sort of five lists and one of them, one of those lists is like you said, what in the last year are you proud of? I think Mm -hmm. it is really important to take stock of what you've done and what you've done well. So that's list number one. List number two is what did this year leave you wanting? You know, Mm -hmm. what did you sort of end the year and still have not tied up or have not solved for yourself? Um, List number three is what's causing you anxiety. So I always tend to look at what in the past year has really gotten me worked up, kept me anxious so that I can look at it, name it and tackle it moving into the following year. List number four is what skills, resources, practices can I rely on in the coming year? What's made me successful in accomplishing my goals in 2023 that I can keep doing in 2024? And then the last list I like to keep sort of off to the side is what are my wildest, craziest dreams and ideas? You know, things that um, may not be easily accomplished, maybe nuts, but things that I want to do or that I want to try to work towards. And so if, when I work in those five buckets and I'm trying this this year, I think it, it gives me a little bit of perspective on how far I've come 
and then where I need to go moving so th forward. That's, I, I love that. Um, I love the anxiety bucket because I probably could put a lot of things in there. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just, it's, we, we all have anxiety about different things. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly, I certainly deal with that in various aspects of my life. And what was, so what were the five buckets again? Just, just, just the titles of them you had. Sure. So I'd call bucket number one, what you're proud of, what, what over the last of. year you're proud of. Yep. Bucket number two is what are you, you still yearning for? What do you still want? Okay. Bucket number three, you can call the anxiety bucket. I think you really have to name what causes you to be anxious and, mm. and is inhibiting you. Bucket four resources slash skills slash practices you know what what kind of tools do you have in your toolbox that you can rely on yep and bucket five is your wildest idea wildest idea so i'll put you on the spot is there anything you would want to share from those any of those something you're you're the proud of something that gives you anxiety um whatever you're comfortable talking about nicole i think it's destructive sure well, I told you what i'm proud of i mean i definitely had some yep. And I don't spend too much time on that, not to sound like cold about it or, or removed from it. But I think if you really keep patting yourself on the back over and over again, you're, you won't move forward. So I, I make a list, I look at it, I put it aside and then I move on. Um, you know, a lot of things cause me anxiety. I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, I have a tremendous amount of anxiety. Most people don't realize that. Um, I've had so many people say to me, oh, you seem like you have it all together or, oh, you handle X, Y, or Z so well. And I always level set with people because I say, I'm glad that that's the perception. But if you don't think that my life, just like most people is a hot mess, you know, I'm, I'm hiding it well, I guess. But um, I get it. I have a lot of anxiety where that comes from. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think some of it comes from my career. I think I see the worst of the worst. I know what can happen to people. I know what people are capable of doing to one another. And that, that keeps me incredibly anxious that something will happen to me or my husband or my children. Uh, I live in a, a state of anxiety about that. So mm -hmm. I have to talk myself down off the ledge a lot of times about, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop or what, what bad things could happen. God, yeah, yeah. I mean, and well, again, we're very different people. You, you have seen things and done things that I can't imagine. Um, you know, and you practice, and, and it's the worst side of humanity. But I, 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 I deal with anxiety as well, uh, quite a bit. And believe it or not, here I am doing a, a podcast. I have social anxiety. <laughs> I always <laughs> have, and people go, mm -hmm. I, "I don't believe that, Brian." You're here. You are. You're you're the director. I was the director of Actus. I'm standing on a stage addressing a crowd of fifteen hundred people. I, I've had full pan, full on panic attacks prior to two Actus conferences. Wow. I did. Yes, I yeah. did. I couldn't sleep. Um, I thought about the next day and kicking off this massive event with this much, these many exhibitors, that that many attendees flying in from all over the country, mm -hmm. um, feeling the weight and realizing I needed to make some changes because I, it was, it was breaking me in some respects. Mm -hmm. um, so we, people do deal with it and I think we all do to some degree, but it's just how we find a way to manage through. I think is um, what makes a person a, per, a, a a professional, frankly. So I, I again, appreciate you sharing that. Um, and there's a little bit about me for those that wanted to know. I think we all deal with it, but just in different ways and maybe different degree. 
So and very yeah. people who know you, you wouldn't have picked that up either. So it's it's kind of interesting, you know, because yeah. on the Actus meetings, be at the Actus meetings. So I think we all learn to compensate in our own way for for the internal anxiety that that happens. We do. Sometimes I find just doing something and not thinking about it too much. I mm-hmm. I, I can respond. I always re- I have to respond. You do and you do respond. But uh, it's it was the anticipation of the event that really kind of. Yeah, messed with me and and uh, right. caused some terrible nights in hotels in, in Atlanta, but we won't get into that right now. Um, <laughs> let's get into actual goals. Oh, I'm actually changing gears. You 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 talked about your own personal goals. How about in Cooper Health? Do you guys set goals again for CDI coding? I'm trying to get back to bring this back to my audience yeah. and what they might be interested in. And and what does that process look like for let's just say the CDI department, which of course you're the medical advisor to medical director. Sure. Yeah, I think for CDI, it's important that the goals for the team reflect the organizational goals and the strategic direction that the organization is going in. So it's really important to know what that is. Mm. I find one of the most common mistakes is that CDI programs may not have a direct line to hospital administration. uh, So they're not really sure. And so it's a huge setback to start going in one direction with a goal and then realize that no one else cares about it. Um, So you need to have some situational awareness, listening, being present at the meetings that you're in. And you really have to make sure your CDI team is tied into what the organizational goals are. So otherwise, you're really not going to be going in the right direction. Right. So we definitely set goals for the team. I, I wouldn't say that we do it for the year or for the, we, we sort of do it as, as things come up. So it's a, it's an ongoing process to set goals for CDI. And we do have to be agile and shift when organizational priorities shift. So that's yeah. very important. So any particular process for that, you already outlined one that you want to make sure you're aligned with mission and you're right. Like, I think it would be easy for folks to say, well, we want to increase our query rate this year or whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe the, the organizations aligned very differently. Maybe they want to see you expand into outpatient because they've got a new risk contract right. or whatever. So you can be way off if you just do these in isolation. So how do you make sure you're on point with your organization mission? Are you bringing in people from the C-suite or other departments to kind of bounce these goals off of? What, what does that look like? Yeah, we work very closely with a lot of people at the C-suite level in the organization. So we work really closely with the quality and safety team. And the person that oversees that is the vice president of medical affairs, who is my colleague. I, as you know, am the associate CMO. So I'm very well tied in with organizational goals and priorities, and I can help guide the CDI team in that respect. And then we work with our revenue cycle partners also. And we sort of all make sure between those three bodies, I would say quality and safety, revenue cycle, and CDI, we're in constant communication throughout the year. Most of us overlap in meetings throughout the organization. We are talking all the time about what's coming up, what's on the horizon, issues that we're seeing. And there's just so much communication, which is really good at Cooper, that nothing gets missed. Uh, between we, we have representation in all these different areas. So we are able to keep a finger on the pulse and know what's going on. And that's very helpful. I've, I've been to other organizations where people really are working in silos. You know, the CDI team sort of exists in this little world and they don't have a lot of interaction with revenue cycle or they have very mm-hmm. little interaction with quality and safety. 
And I think that's where the success of a program can be very limited. But mm. at Cooper, the connections are so rich throughout the organization that we are constantly talking. We have you know meetings that involve all three of those groups that I just talked about. And so we're very in sync with each other and with what each other needs throughout the year. That's awesome. I, I love that you're, you know, you're speaking music to my ear there with interdepartmental collaboration. Um, anything that you want to actually share tangibly for goals you guys have set, maybe a, you mentioned quality. Um, you and I have talked about technologies that you were looking to possibly implement. If there are any metrics you want to improve, like what, what, what are a couple of goals that you guys have set? If you don't, if you don't mind me asking. Sure. I think for this year, an interesting goal that we've set that's, that may not be familiar to everyone is that we've been in existence now since 2014, the team started. So we're talking nine years, almost a decade. Well, I guess a decade, it's 2024. And we have never really done a close internal look at how the team is working. I guess you could call it an audit, but really sort of a an outside view of what we're doing, how we're doing, what do we need moving forward. So that is going to be the focus of the first quarter of this year, is really looking at the team. Our healthcare system is expanding very rapidly, and that's about all I can say about that right okay. now. But we have uh, expansion on the horizon, so we want to make sure the team is right-sized. We want to make sure we're tackling the right areas, that our priorities are still in line with the organization. And so we're going to spend the first quarter of this year really diving into that, doing some audits, doing some quality checks, and just making sure that we're prepared for the expansion that's ahead. I love that. So look, turning the lens inward. That's turning not something that I would typically hear for a goal. I mean, I'm sure folks do it, and I have heard of spot audits, record audits, making sure that, you know, you didn't miss a query opportunity, but you're talking about something bigger, like yes, um, team performance, right size. Mm -hmm. Are you focused on the right things as a whole? And even things like things as nuanced as, is everybody happy? Does everybody feel that they're functioning hmm. at the highest level? You know, we have CDSs, for example, we have one who was really interested in doing mortality reviews. So we moved her into that area. But are there other people that have found niche areas that they're interested in pursuing or, you know, career development opportunities that they want to look towards and, and just making sure that everybody feels satisfied that we're moving towards a collective ikigai, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. and, um, and that people aren't stagnant in their roles, that they feel that there's room to grow and, and pursue opportunities and, and continue to learn. That's wonderful. I, I think that is such a valuable exercise and one I wasn't expecting that. Um, this is why I do the podcast. So I can, mm -hmm. I'm always surprised by my guests. Super cool. And anything, uh, what does that look like on a granular level a little bit? Like, are, are you doing one-on-one -on -one interviews with folks, uh, the, you know, department managers interviewing your, your staff to make sure like are just as simple as, are you happy in your job? Is there anything you want to pursue? Uh, any specialized knowledge, mortality reviews that we can align you with? Like, what what does that actually look like uh, on an implementation level? Yeah, I, well, it involves the things that you would typically think it does, which is some chart review, some chart audits, you know, kind of yeah. just looking inwards in that sense. But it will also involve a lot of dialogue with the team members. We have a big team now. So we have, I think we're up to, I want to say 25 CDSs, but it may actually be more than that. 
So it does involve talk, speaking to those individuals, kind of getting a sense of how things are going. Our director, Rebecca Wilcutt, does that very well on a day-to-day basis anyway. Yeah, so I don't great. think, yeah, she's awesome. So I don't think we'll uncover any huge issues that we hadn't seen, but uh, it's always just good to get a different perspective uh, and ask the questions again. And sort of like I gave you those five buckets of self-reflection, you can do the same thing with your team. You know, yeah. what's causing you anxiety? Do you have any crazy ideas for CDI? Even if they sound crazy, what are they? You know, what what could we be doing? How can we go from, if we're version 5.0 now, how do we go to version 10.0? What do you think is on the horizon? What have you heard out and about at your conferences or, or during your educational sessions or things like that? Um, I love it. I was going to ask that, whether what your private personal practice of goal setting, if that could be applied more broadly to a CDI department or an organization throughout. Absolutely. Yeah. That is great. Well, wonderful suggestion there. Um, and maybe that's a great place for, just for me to recommend to others, you know, maybe that if you haven't yet set your 2024 goals, maybe a department audit um, and a, th- a thoughtful, thorough one like you've described could be a great place for folks to kick off the new year. So I'm going to plant that flag and make sure we promote that during the show here. Um, you also, I just want to do say this before yeah. we move to a different thing yeah. is you do have to make sure that everybody understands it's not a critique. It doesn't mean that mm. anything's being done wrong. I think people start to get the wrong idea. They get a little bit defensive, a little bit closed off. Um, that's not what it's about. It's yeah. really about how can you improve? We know we're a successful program. We know that at Cooper. We, we've That's well-established. But how do you be even better? How do you challenge yourself to be the best of the best? Yeah. And that's that's really what it's about. Not kind of looking for wrongdoing or trying to point fingers or being punitive. It's actually yeah. a very healthy exercise to do. And maybe it's the word audit too. I think people think audits, they think of OIG audit or right. uh, you know, insurance audits. Um, but really it's self, like you just said, self-reflection is taking an honest look at everything and using it to springboard you to the next level. Love that. Love that. All right. We talked about Cooper Health related goals here again. Q1, anything else you want to share before we move on there? The self-audit is the big one, the department audit and making sure you're aligned. I think that's a great place to go. How how about yourself? Personal goals, Nicole, we've talked about your process, your accomplishments, Um, any personal goals that you would want to share with us here? And, And again, personal could be family. It could be, hobby, uh, exercise, it doesn't matter to me, but maybe it's also, um, you know, your, what, what you're doing in, in your clinical practice, like bleeding over into both there. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's been an interesting transition for me this year, I guess maybe the last two years, but more so this year, I've come to recognize it where, and I don't know if you've had this experience in your own career, but I'm sort of making that transition from, being mid-career, hustling, working clinically to now sort of being the person people look to, you know, some people call it the elder statesman or like I'm sort of moving into the later phase of my career where people mm-hmm. are coming to me for advice. Um, I'm not as necessary day to day as I used to be, but, you know, I'm seen as someone who can provide perspective on things. I'm asked to go give grand rounds in places or give talks on leadership and things like that. And so for me now, 
it's personally a time to shift away from my own accomplishments and what I need to do next to how can I help others at this point mm-hmm. in my career and how can I be of the most use in the spaces that I'm in. And that includes to my family, to Cooper, to East, my trauma organization and the profession as a whole profession as a whole. How can I be the most useful? What do I offer and how can I help other people reach their goals find their ikigai, you know, kind of turn the focus outward rather than, I think for, at least in trauma surgery, for the beginning part of your career, it's very much all about me. You know, you want to establish yourself, you want to establish clinical credibility, publish papers, give talks, and you're on this treadmill of of achieve, achieve, achieve. And then at some point, especially as you become a leader, you need to shift away from that and start asking, how do you help other people? Yeah. When is enough enough for yourself? And that doesn't mean you can't still have personal goals and things that you want to accomplish, but how do you now help other people? How do you use the knowledge that you've gained and the skills that you've gained um, in the best way possible? And that's my challenge to myself, I think, moving forward, not just for 2024, but in general. What kind of legacy do I want to leave in this profession and and how do I want to help other people achieve what what they're setting out to accomplish? That's really important to me. I love that one too. And yes, I am feeling the same way. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You, you and I seem to be on similar wavelengths here again. Similar age and probably similar, similar age in our career. Yeah. I, f- I feel the same, Nicole, like at some point, you know, um, I, I no longer feel as of a couple of years ago and certainly now that I have anything left to prove. Like, it's not right. like I don't take pride in my work in this podcast doing each show as, as good as I can. I still want to do that. Um, but I, I just don't feel the pressure anymore to do it. I feel like I've, I've been there. I've done it. I know I can do a good job. I have those reserves of strength, experience, wisdom that come with it, but you can only take yourself so far and you're an, you're an aging being in time. And, um, what you should be doing is passing that knowledge along to other people. And that, that, that should come with, with age doesn't always come for people. Some people again, exactly remain right. kind of self-centered and self-focused, but um, it's, it's great to hear you that you've taken that on. Cause I have too, you know, I, I try to give back to my company, help other people that are emerging in this space. I want to do more with that in 2024 as well. One of my goals is to develop a, a marketing um, branding network, folks that are have similar roles to me, but are um, maybe they're at the same level, mate. But also, I I want to learn, keep learning. My it's got, I guess, it has a little bit of a selfish motive, but it's also giving back to other people. That's that's one of my goals for the year. I, I love that. And what what does that look like for you, Nicole? How are you going to instantiate this? Do you have? Um, are you working with other younger Cooper? trauma surgeons, for example, or, um, yeah, what does this look like for you? It looks, you know, it looks a lot of different ways. I I mean, it can certainly be applied personally and professionally. So professionally, what it looks like for me is, um, really making a conscious effort to mentor other people to, notice if people are struggling and to reach out proactively and try to help them. Um, I can give you some examples Mm -hmm. because I don't want it to just sound anecdotal or vague, but 
I get tremendous joy in watching other people succeed. I truly do. And watching other people find their niche and find something they're passionate about. So one example I can give you is one of the physicians at Cooper had a daughter that had was a college student and wanted to come shadow me. Um, and I didn't think much of it. You know, I thought it would be, she, she would have fun coming a couple times, but this particular individual got so, she's a college student. She's now a senior at Davidson College. But at the time she came, she was a sophomore or junior. And she really threw herself into shadowing a Cooper trauma. She did some research with me. And then that turned into shadowing while I was on call. She got to go to the operating room. She got to round on patients. And now she's like applying for a Fulbright scholarship. She's looking to do some work postgraduate and then apply to medical school. And the team has really embraced her at Cooper. She's super passionate about becoming a trauma surgeon. And she really got turned on to peer support and physician wellness while working with me. And that's what she wants to do her Fulbright work in. And just to watch this young woman, just to mentor her and watch her develop and see like the passion ignite in her to, to enter this field and do this was so rewarding. It was mm -hmm. like one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And I'd be happy to do that with 10 people, 15 people, 20 people. If it, if it builds an army of individuals that are, you know, going into trauma for the right reasons that want to really make their mark on the profession, that was worth every minute of my time. And so it's those kind of things that I really want to focus my time and energy on moving forward. Um, Personally, for me right now, life is about my kids. I have five kids mm -hmm. <laughs> and just watching them succeed, empowering them, helping them do whatever they can do to reach their goals. Um, my daughter just got her black belt. Watching her test for her black belt was one of the most rewarding things I've ever seen in my life. Just the dedication, the passion she put into it, hitting the gym independently. No one had to tell her what to do. And then to sit there and watch her break concrete and break these boards um, and go through a 10, 14 hour day of testing. It was incredible. And that gave me more pleasure than any accomplishment, any personal accomplishment mm -hmm. ever had. Just watching somebody else succeed and knowing maybe I was a very small part of it, but at least a part of it. Those kind of things are what's driving me now in the professional arena and the personal arena. And so just like when we talk about finding your ikigai, when you find those things that drive you and make you want to do it over and over again and do it more, you have to really chase that down and follow that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I'm seeing. I have people coming to me. They want to be mentored. They want career advice, or they'll ask me to give a grand rounds and talk about leadership and trauma and things like that. I always say yes, because I know that that is really what I want to focus on, um, at least in the immediate future and going forward, is paying it back. You know, yeah. all the help I've been given, the mentoring I've been given, the advice, giving that to other people and watching them succeed. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Amazing. How old is your daughter who's just got her black belt? She's 15. 15. Okay. She's yeah, that's an age where they really start to bloom mm -hmm. athletically and they start finding their way. I So I have two daughters. They're now 18 and 21. Uh, just to use the example of my 18-year-old. Uh at age 15, she blossomed into a track runner and cross-country mm -hmm. distance. That's awesome. I didn't see coming. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a bigger guy. Um, I threw the shot put back in high school and mm -hmm. I steered her into that path of shot putting. And uh, she 
somehow went from that. Well, it, actually, it was the COVID pandemic. She started wanting to keep in shape, running on a treadmill, discovered she loved that. And all of a sudden, she's competing as a 15-year-old and then became a three-sport captain. That's amazing. Indoor track, outdoor track, cross country. And watching her run, watching her win races, lose races, but just compete at a high level was it's it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's it is. It it's when I look back at the at my my accomplishments of 2023, like many of them are watching my daughters succeed in in what in their own unique ways. That's an accomplishment. And that's something I think people might overlook too. Like look beyond yourself when you're doing these these process of reflection and realize there's probably a lot of, of bountiful things going on in your life that might not be you, but they're part of you. And and especially with your with your children, I mean, they're obviously tangibly you, they're biologically yours, or maybe if you even adopted them, they're kids you've raised. Yeah. You should you should well, take pride in that. I think the other thing you have to be cognizant of too, I think people get tripped up. I am absolutely okay with if somebody I mentored or my children or whatever are better than me or that's that's (laughs) totally okay. That I think a lot of people that's challenging to people. And I think people get very defensive about that, but you have to not have that constricted heart. You know, you, you can't have that. I call it a constricted heart. I guess you have to be able to just accept other people's success and be happy for them. If they succeed beyond you, that that's a testament to whatever you've given them, whatever advice and mentoring you've given them. And that's mm-hmm. what you want for them. I mean, that's what we want for our kids, right? To be better versions of us. Oh that's yeah. The people I mentor do do better than I did. Learn from the mistakes that I made and and get better. I mean, that's that's really the most rewarding part. Awesome. And I will absolutely admit to anyone, I'll admit it here on the air. My my younger daughter is a better athlete than I was. Oh, my daughter is <laughs> a better human being than I than I could ever be. Okay. Well, I love that. Love that. You've, you've got some great, great goals, personal, professional. We're getting near the end of the show here to wrap up. Um, just anything, um, best practices, advice uh, for listeners who want to engage in a similar goal setting exercise. We didn't really talk a lot about how to make goals sticky so you don't lose sight of them. Do you have any any final words of advice just for, you know, we, we outlined some things that we want to do but how, how to actually make sure you follow through with them. Sure. I think, I think what people have to remember too, is I always, I think about this lately. We have come through a really difficult time. We survived a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. The news, if you watch it every day, as you know, is depressing. Um, and it's hard to, to really move beyond that. I think when you're setting goals for yourself, you have to give yourself a little bit of grace and be yeah. easy on yourself. A lot of us have done the best we can with the tools that we have. And in order to make goals stick, you have to be very realistic and graceful with yourself. So I would just say, in terms of making them stick, it's always helpful to have someone else hold you accountable. So you can share your goals with someone, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a close friend, whether it's a coworker, and help hold each other accountable for at least one or two or however many you want of those goals, it, that that helps. So I usually bring somebody else in on my goal setting. If they're professional goals, I'll talk to my boss or one of my coworkers. Uh, if they're personal goals, talk to my husband, You know, talk to my children. But it's kind of like a team effort, I think, to get some of these things accomplished. And I think many of us have forced ourselves to do this alone or feel that we're going at this alone. And 
I can tell you just from my experience in trauma that working as a team is really the most successful approach. And so the more people you can get on board with your goals, the more you can help others with their goals, I think you have a better chance of succeeding and making them stick, as you said. Awesome. So give yourself grace, mm -hmm. that phrase and everything behind it, but then also involve others. Right. So that they're they're part of it and they probably hold you to something where you're accountable as well. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. All right. Well, we're we're going to end the show here, but actually two last quick questions as I send you out. I think you know what one of them might be, but um, anything else interesting going on that we should know about, Nicole? You're, you've always got something interesting going on, which is, you know, last year, you just last show in September, you sprung at me that you were going to Tokyo. Any yeah. other trips or interesting things that our listeners might want to know about? <laughs> I think, you know, we're going to explore the Grand Canyon in April. That's our, our okay. new upcoming thing. I've that, seen it. It's awesome. I, I think I you have to see it at ago. least once, I've been told. We certainly have other destinations in mind, but we're going to take the kids out there. Explore They'll be blown the Grand away. Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't wait for that. Um, and really just settle into the next few years with East. Uh, decide what kind of mark that I want to make on the organization and what, what direction we're going to head in. I think that's really exciting. And there will be a lot of trips related to, to East and some of my professional development. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. And then lastly, any other song you want to add to the off the record Spotify playlist? Well, Last show you, you, you talked to Aerosmith and that was a great story. Uh, be hard to top that choice, but would love any other selection you might have. I have to tell you, I watched this the other day and I would highly recommend it, whether you like country music or not, but the Willie Nelson documentary, oh God, four episode documentary is available on Paramount Plus. He had an amazing life, amazing life. And I don't know, well, I'll ask you this question. What Willie Nelson song, if you had to associate one song with Willie Nelson, what would it be for you? Oh God. So, all right, before I get to that, I just saw Willie Nelson in concert for the first time last year. You he's did? Not, he's 90 years old. He's 90. He's still performing. Yep. It took him a couple songs to warm up. His voice was kind of shaky. I mean, he's 90. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect I didn't expect anything. I just wanted to see him in the flesh on stage. I wouldn't care if he sat there and played cards. Um, My husband will be jealous because that's exactly what he wants to do. Yeah, he was great. He warmed up. He got better as 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 the show went along. His son was there, and he had a great backing band, and they helped him. They they would, you know, chime in yeah. on some lyrics. Oh my gosh, there's so many good Willie Nelson songs. Um, I don't even know if he wrote it. I think he did. You were always on my mind is a great I, one. That's what I was gonna say. Oh yes. God, okay. <laughs> that is, I think they said in the documentary actually that that. Um, you know, that is really sort of one of the signature Willie Nelson songs. There's so many, but there are so his, many his version of that. But I got to tell you, I don't know if you've ever seen him do Seven Spanish Angels with Ray Charles. Oh, God. Yes, I have. It's so good, Nicole. That's another great one. I but, showed that to some friends and they were blown away. They hadn't mm -hmm. seen it. It's him sitting at the piano. Uh, mm -hmm. Ray Charles is, is, a, is a legend and just, yeah, the two of them together was peanut butter and chocolate is like the, the the flavors you 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 just go blend together and it made the the output of that song so good so they that's were really good, good friends too uh, <laughs> yeah. in their personal lives so it's really neat to watch so watch the documentary i have not seen it 
So there's there's my final goal for 2024. I'll watch this four-part Willie Nelson doc, docuseries. I love it. Well, that's a great place to end the show on, Nicole. Thank you again for being so open, honest, yeah. which is why I love having you as a guest. I wish you the best of luck in accomplishing your 2024 goals. And Thank the you. same goes for my listeners. We will see you back here again in two weeks. Thanks so much for tuning in to Off the Record. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. We'll catch you in the next episode.